coming up on The Medicine Podcast. When you go to the gym and you build strength, you get stronger in the gym. And then you leave, you stay strong. You don't, in the meditation practice, the skills that we cultivate on the pillow, we get to keep when the bell rings. The goal is not to become really like a great meditator, become a great human being. Concentration is the skill, the fundamental skill that leads to performance excellence in all endeavors. So as you can cultivate the skill of concentration, you will get better at everything that you do. Husband, father, coach, entrepreneur, every hat that you wear, you'll be better at it if you train the common denominator in all your roles, your mind. Welcome back to The Medicine Podcast. My name is Mimi and I have my love, my king here with me. What's up, everybody? This is Chase. You know, occasionally in life, you come across somebody, you cross paths with someone and you know immediately you got to get them on a podcast. (laughs) And that is what happened uh, with Michael Holt. So we are really excited today to welcome Michael to The Medicine Podcast. Happy to be here, man. Great to see you guys again. Yeah, it's good. It's going to be a good conversation. So... So the first question that we ask every guest on The Medicine is, what do you love in your life? What aspect of your life do you love so much that you wish you could gift it to every human? Vitality. I don't even have to think about it. (laughs) The connection that I feel to my body and the strength and power that I feel in my body. Mm. What, What, maybe unpack a little bit the term vitality, what that means to you, and maybe kind of the, the journey you've, you've, took to get to that definition? Yeah, I think that um, I have the lived experience of not feeling vital and not feeling healthy, but not really knowing that, just feeling, uh, I don't know, like the standard American experience of not really enough energy to get through the day, not really enough mental clarity to feel creative, not really enough concentration power to prevent my mind from creating problems in my life not feeling strong and confident in the felt sense of my body and my life, my work, my passion has been cultivating vitality within myself. I know what it feels to live depleted and I know what it feels to live full. And I'm on a mission to share this experience with more men because I feel like the more men find their spine, find their breath, find their balls, and find critical thinking and become sovereign in their being, the less problems we're going to encounter as a culture. Mm. Mm. Dunking, dunking already. (laughs) Um, Let's come back to this. We're going to get, we're going to get more into vitality and some of the specific work that you do uh, here in a few minutes, but maybe if you can, um, and you've hinted at it already, uh, give a little detail on, on what you do in the world today, and then we'll get into your story on how you got there. Yeah, so I work as a health practitioner. Uh, That's an intentionally vague term because it's really difficult to define my work. Um, I have a lot of tools in the toolbox, have a degree in psychology. I've done a deep dive into meditation as a skill-based, you know, uh, formal practice. I'm a martial artist and a martial art teacher. I've gone through the Czech curriculum uh, on the holistic health side. I've done a course of study as a shamanic practitioner. And it all just kind of blends into meeting somebody where they're at and suggesting holistic lifestyle interventions that they can leverage to feel healthier and happier. 
I didn't set out to work with specifically men. That's just the way the cookie crumbled. Obviously, I'm a man. I have a um, controversial opinion that men and women are not the same. And <laughs> I encounter problems that I don't know how to how to be with or that I'm not, I can't, it's not been my direct experience. So I have a consulting company where I work with individuals. I work with a few organizations and I have a men's group that I've built where I, I'm right now in the middle of a 12 week men's course that I'm teaching. And I also offer men's retreats a couple of times per year, residential retreats. Very mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. Wide. Yeah. When I was on your website, just yeah. Take a <laughs> like look at the, the badges and certifications on, on Michael's website. It's yeah. Nuts. It's, it's a crazy amount of knowledge and tools in your toolbox, which is great. That's honestly like what I think MDs should have under their belt. You know, when they're giving people medical advice, it seems like it, it should be in a perfect world, uh, more robust than just, and I, I, I say that, you know, with an asterisk, I know it's not easy to get through medical school. Oftentimes it's like the hardest thing that you'll ever do in your life as a, as a physician. But I do think that there is a need, a huge need for people who are giving medical advice to understand past the anatomy and physiology and medical procedures, pharmaceuticals, this and that and the other. And for someone like yourself that has this wide bouquet, this cornucopia of knowledge and wisdom and uh, lived experience, I think that you you probably have a much more, um, I would say, nuanced and holistic, obviously, holistic approach to helping someone. And uh, yeah, it's it's incredible. And I agree with you. I just want to say quickly, you know, there was a time years ago where I was thinking maybe I wanted to go to graduate school. And I sent out some applications. I got into some programs and I was going to consider maybe marriage or family therapy or a master in social work. But I just had to confront this feeling in my gut that it was like, no, it's not it. And then I was like, well, wait a minute. I, what do I want? I want to further my education. That doesn't mean I have to go to graduate school. It right. means I developed my own graduate program. So I just went all out on courses of study that I was passionate about with no real idea about how I was going to combine them. But that, you know, just follow what you're passionate about and then it all coalesces in time. I want to rewind a little bit. You mentioned uh, in your first answer, you know what it feels like to not be vital or not to have vitality. And you explained kind of a milieu of what you experienced. But what was going on in your life um, up until that point that, that kind of got you to that point where you didn't feel vital at all? Yeah, I think that there was a whole bunch of emotional trauma that I was unaware of, and it was dictating my course of action in the world. I didn't, I was suffering with depression, and I was uh, medicating that depression with drugs and alcohol, mostly alcohol. And, um, you know, I would get a head full of booze and then get myself in trouble with the cops. And then that would create a whole nother array of life problems that would cause more stress that I wouldn't know how to deal with piled on the, all, the stress I already had that I didn't know to heal with, deal with. And life was just becoming quite overwhelming. I didn't have any love for the man in the mirror. I didn't have a so, strong relationship with myself or even know that really. And it seemed to me like my mind had a mind of its own. And no matter what, um, I couldn't seem to wrangle it or govern it or prevent myself from getting into trouble. I mean, I got locked up like a whole bunch of times. 
and I was living on the East Coast in Philadelphia at the time where I'm born and raised. And, uh, you know, I got in enough trouble eventually where I was like, you know, this isn't just going to resolve itself. It's not just going to go away. I got to figure this out. I got to get a hand on this because I'm 22 years old, but the future does not look bright if I don't make some significant changes. And so I started, you know, I got, I had been an athlete, you know, in, in my younger years. And then I lost touch with competitive sport and a big part of me felt empty, I guess. But I got myself back in the gym. I got myself fit again. And that was only, you know, the surface. But that led me into an exploration of meditation and like a real rigorous, deep exploration of meditation. And I've had the good fortune to find some good teachers. And I, I explored a passion in martial art and uh, found the Czech curriculum. And I just went on this long journey that I'm still on and always will be of understanding myself at deeper levels and getting right within myself and learning how to love myself. And when I look at where I was and where I'm at now and where I can feel that I'm going, I don't claim to have all the answers. I don't claim to have it all figured out, but I know what it's like to be in the dark for real. And I know what it's like to get out of the dark and I know the way out. And so that's what I'm trying to share with people. Yeah, that's great. You know, I'm curious for you, and and I feel like this is the case with many who start a healing journey of some kind. It starts with physical wellness, but even upon making progress through your own physical wellness, whether that be through movement or through nutrition, oftentimes there's another call to action or adventure as it pertains to inner wellness around spirituality, or maybe it's your emotional health or your your psychological health. What did that look like for you? At what point did you realize that there was more than just your physical body that required some up-leveling? So I was raised Irish Catholic. I went to Catholic school. That's pretty common in my neighborhood in Philly. Um, it's not to suggest that my family was very religious. It was just part of our culture. We went yep. to church Sunday, but you know, no one was thumping the Bible at home. And then I got a little older around 17, 18 years old, junior, senior in high school, start thinking like looking at the priests and the nuns and the teachers where formerly they were like priests and nuns, but you start to see them as people, act just people, and you start wondering about these beliefs that you'd never questioned before. And, you know, long story short, I just kind of came to a conclusion pretty early in my life that this, this isn't answering the questions that I have the deeper questions that I have. This is, um, I'm not satisfied with what I've been taught here. And I'm not confident that anyone who's teaching me has really done a deep contemplation on whether or not they believe what they've been taught. And so at that point, I started to read, um, you know, like militant atheism was pretty popular then. Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens. Uh, there's a French thinker named Michel Onfray and I started to read all this stuff and I started to get kind of angry and fired up like, yeah, this is all bullshit. Fuck this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like to. And, uh, and I walked that path for a little while. It's, I think you could call it a, 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 a period of radical deconsecration where everything you've been taught, you just start to reject. But then, like I said, my, my life became quite complicated and quite chaotic and, my emotions were difficult to be in and be with. And um, 
I felt called to the practice of meditation because life was, it, it had gotten so bad that it was like, well, meditation can't make it any worse. Right. The really can't make it worse. This is like, I need some help. And if, if this will help, I'll try it. And um, I was attracted to meditation and Buddhism because it, it's very um, practical. And there's not, there's no requisite for a belief in a higher power or anything. There's no belief required. It's just the practice. And then through the practice, my speaking from my own experience, but I think it's common, you start to reopen yourself to the possibility that there are forces at play here that are defy logic and defy the human mind's capacity to really understand and you're pulled into the mystical world, but real the the real mystical world, based on your direct experience, not religion, which is a filter over the mystical world, which is somebody telling you what your experience is or should be. But so I, I guess to circle it back and answer your question, that is when the possibility started to emerge for me that there's this is a mystery that I don't really even know anything at all about where I'm from, where I'm going, or what I even am. And that's okay. You know, that that there's uh, more to it than meets the eye. And perhaps I am more than just this body and this mind. Yeah, that seems like a really common, you know, we, we've had this question come up with other guests. Um, and people just offer this information freely in their story. Like, you get to this point where you you realize that there's definitely way more than I've been taught. There's way more than I ever thought. I will never know all of the answers, but somehow like even that itself is somewhat comforting. Like this feeling that like I am so minute and inf infinitesimal, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm also like part of the grand cosmos and you realize that there's so much more that you'll never know, but it's like this okay feeling. And it's almost like yeah. comforting, at least for me in a way. It's like, it's all good. I'm never going to have all the answers, but doesn't mean that I'm going to stop searching for them. Yeah. It's very liberating to admit really that you don't have any idea what's happening here. Yeah, It's, it's our fixed views. The, it's what we know that is the root of our suffering. And when we start to let go of what we know, we suffer less. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, and I'm curious how this translates into, you know, the work that you're in now and, and men's work specifically. Was it suffering that you were able to identify in the, the community of men at large that triggered this passion for um, getting into the work? Maybe take us through a little bit like what you were picking up on. And obviously you had contacts through your own healing journey, but what you were picking up on in the modern man um, that prompted this spark for you to... Uh, begin showcasing these things that you've learned and really helping people? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was a little less of like observing the modern man and wanting to save him and more just focusing entirely on myself only and my own well-being and my own healing that matures, inevitably matures into wanting to be of service to other people. So I think a mistake that a lot of individuals make is that they have these grandiose aims to save modern man or to save the relationship between men and women or to crumble societal hierarchies that are unjust. But my mission and my message is to start small yeah. <laughs> and in the glass, get yourself together, really. 
I mean, come to a place where you authentically love, respect, and revere the man in the mirror. Then you have something to share with the, the world. But until then, focus on yourself. Yeah. So I guess, you know, to answer your question, one of the things that I seek to share is that I'm on a mission to make meditation badass again. I think that there's an unfortunate connotation with contemplative practice that it's like you need to have a man bun and you need to be kind of be spiritual type dude. Um, and a lot of type A, you know, quote, tough guys who think of themselves as strong, they just, they say, well, that's not me. But the origins of meditation amongst masculine populations was like the warrior's work, the real world's work. And by the way, I mean, my challenge for anybody is that if you think this is like namaste, hippy-dippy, airy-fairy, then try it. You know, fruitful meditation practice, which I view and teach as a as the uh, cultivation of specific skills is not necessarily relaxing you know it can be as as those skills start to develop but in engaging the practice you will need strong determination you'll need discipline and you'll need heroic effort it's not a it's not people say it's it's zen or it's super peaceful that's not my experience initially as you start to be able to be more intentional with your state and and your mind, then you can cultivate a state of peace. But you have to learn how to do that, and that takes work. So I guess what I want to share is that, unfortunately, modern man maybe thinks he, ha he only has two options, to be a tough guy, badass, or a spiritual type, um, to be hard or to be soft to be sensitive or to be mentally tough. But I am inviting individuals into the consideration that you not only can be, but you must be both of those things. That's what I call savage insane. Yeah, perfect segue. Cause I wanna get I want to get into the name, the meaning behind the name, and then what your your ethos are. Because this is your your business title, mm -hmm. Savage and Saint, which yeah. is beautiful. And so I definitely want to unpack the the meaning of the name and then a little bit about kind of what what that integration of the two can look like sure so you know savage and saint that's the duality of man this is you know it's basically a new name on an old classic yin yang um but the savage communicates this relentless determination to improve to persevere to conquer to strive forward in spite of all obstacles and to achieve the objective um, that's in us, that's in all of us. We have that and we can foster it. We can grow that capacity, but that capacity on its own is not enough. And, you know, I work with a lot of highly successful individuals who they're so savage in their, uh, need to accomplish that they've lost the capacity to abide peacefully and unconditionally accept, lovingly accept themselves and the world exactly as it is right now, in spite of all of their perceived flaws about themselves and the external world. It's the capacity of the saint to just take a long exhale and smile and recognize that actually this is beautiful, nothing has to change. And when you, when you can abide at the center point between those two extremes, 
your being is infused with this energy that you can then channel into the pursuits that you find to be meaningful, but they're not, they're no longer, your self-worth is no longer tied up with their accomplishment because you recognize that what I'm really after is freedom. Freedom is available always and only right now. So you taste that fruit and then you go out into the world at free men and your presence becomes medicine. But as a savage and a saint, you are equally capable of demonstrating your strength as you are of appreciating a flower. Mm. If you know what I mean. Yep. You don't have to become a spineless nymph frolicking through the meadow, but you also don't have to be a, a unconscious barbarian dragging your knuckles around, breathing through your mouth. You know, to for a man to reach his fullness, in my view, he must be practicing at the extremes of savagery and saintliness and living right in the middle. Hey friend, by now I think most of us realize that our earth needs our support more than ever. Sadly, most of the usable soil on earth has been degraded into lifeless dust by conventional farming's overuse of glyphosate and pesticides. This is a big problem for not only us, but even bigger problem for our kids' generation. Chase and I's favorite way to support the earth is by supporting the regenerative farmers who use methods that do not degrade the soil, but builds robust, rich, biodiverse soil. Every month we receive our meat subscription box from Wild Pastures that provides a wide variety of meat, chicken, sausage, pork, beef, and even organ meats if we want. These are the best prices we have found on meat that's organic, pasture-raised, and sourced from regenerative farmers. And boxes are completely customizable to fit your family's needs. With Wild Pastures, you're not only supporting your family's health with the highest quality meat, you're also supporting future generations and our earth, our home. Now, Wild Pastures is giving you 20% off your subscription and free shipping for life. Just check the show notes below for our direct link and start building your first box. Enjoy. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I the word that comes to mind when you're explaining this is like fully integrating all the potential aspects of self that could have been discarded or let go of at some point in their life. Maybe as a child, they had a softer side. Like I I know Chase speaks to this a lot. I'll, I'll let you say for yourself, but it seems like a lot of men are early on in life are taught and, and women too, to be honest, that these softer sides, you know, are you know, can be discarded and you're going to get through life just fine if you have the savage aspect um, down, basically. But you hear from a lot of men in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s that have done the savage thing and they still don't feel fulfilled in life. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. And it's not only do they not feel fulfilled, but the people around them who love them don't feel their heart. Because they're so mission-driven that they've forgotten how to stop and smell the roses. I mean, literally and metaphorically, they're not actually there. Their eyes are always on the horizon, and they've outrun their supply line. So a man like that will achieve the thing. The problem is by the time he does, he'll be all by himself. And another point worthy of consideration, especially nowadays, is that Chase and I are from a similar era where maybe we were encouraged to uh, abandon the saintly side 
boys don't cry kind of a thing. But yeah. nowadays, it's the opposite. Sure. Nowadays, we want soft little boys and harmless men who, you know, are not toxic. <laughs> right. So, yeah, balance is critical. And I, like I said earlier, you know, an individual who is balanced and a, and a culture of individual male, men who are balanced, who are strong but connected to their heart, cannot be coerced. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So in the business of coercing people, I would not want men who are savage and saints. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. I, as I, you know, I've gotten to know you a little bit and um, looked into your work, I went back to my notes on a book called Iron John yeah. um, that I read a while back. And it, and I'm reading my notes, so I didn't quote the book perfectly, but I'm going to read a little section of my notes because it reminded me of, of you and I want to get your thoughts here. And while we're kind of on this topic, uh, the author is a poet. His name is Robert Bly. Um, he says, the modern obsession with making childhood a cocoon of light closes children off to sources of power. Addictions and psychological disorders mirror society's inability to accommodate the dark side. New age thinking about harmony and higher consciousness holds a dangerous attraction to naive men, whereas mythology beckons us to enter fully into life with all of its blood and tears and joy. The way we achieve full realization of ourselves is to focus on one precious thing, an idea, a person, a quest, a question, and the decision to follow it at any cost, that is the sign of maturity. When we make a clear choice, the king inside us awakens and our powers are finally realized. Beautiful, man. Yeah, and uh, that book was written, I believe, well, I don't know. I wanted to it's say... It's like mid-90s, early 90s, maybe? Maybe a few years earlier than that. I think it was very popular in the 80s. There was okay. like a renaissance of men's work and that was yeah. like... The but yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, um, I'm reading a very interesting book now called The Coddling of the American Mind. I'm nearly finished, but it's talking about this uh, pandemic of safetyism, mm -hmm. of trying to make childhood uh, harmless and treating children, especially young boys, as if they're very, 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 very fragile. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of varies. Yeah, but they're not. You know, they're not. Yeah. And uh, dangerous things happen when young people but especially young men grow up thinking that they're fragile um so yeah i love the quote that you shared what particularly stood out to me was this necessity of like finding a thing finding a mission finding a passion and just pouring yourself into it just letting the one thing teach you everything and i agree with that i do agree with that for me that's been kind of the i guess two things but they're very similar and that's the practice of meditation and the, the martial art journey. You know, uh, I really poured myself into those in my middle to late twenties. And, uh, I'm glad I did because I learned a lot about a lot. Yeah. I can imagine. Um, if someone's listening right now and maybe they've dabbled a little bit into meditation, but they haven't quite gotten a practice down, whether they're a man or a woman, um, where should, where do you recommend people start? Yeah, that's a really good question. And um, it's one I'm often asked. And it it pains me when I hear people say things like, I tried meditation once or twice, and it's not really for me. <laughs> yeah. Like, saying, well, you know what? I, 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 uh, I did a set of bench press once and. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
I didn't get jacked. Yeah, yeah. So. It didn't work. I ate it's a salad once and I am still overweight. Weird. Yeah. yeah. It's like saying I am the one human mind in this wisdom stream that's been passed heart to heart, mind to mind, unbroken for thousands and thousands of years. I'm the one human mind that doesn't really work for it. So it's also unfortunate, I think, when people are exposed to teachers who present themselves as meditation teachers who do not have a very deep practice, which unfortunately is the norm. Meditation is such a loosely defined term. It means so many different things to so many different people that it means nothing to anybody, really. You know, I, I encounter people who say, yeah, I meditate. I've been meditating for years. And then they tell me about their problems. And I wonder, what, what does meditate mean to you? What have you been doing? You could see the same thing in, with regard to exercise. You could see somebody who's terribly de deconditioned who says, well, yeah, I go to the gym four days a week and have for the past seven years. Well, what do you do at the gym? Because it's not working. So like I said earlier, I've had the supreme good fortune, and I say this all the time, but the more I say it, the more I recognize how fucking lucky I am that I just happen to encounter really good teachers. Mm -hmm. Like right off the bat. And that's not the norm, you know, that's just not the norm. But my primary influences in the realm of meditation have been George Haas, Shinzen Young, and the late, great Dan Brown, who recently passed away. But all of these men presented meditation as an enlightenment-based approach to meditation. They are, they are of the opinion that enlightenment is attainable in this lifetime if you go for it. And they'll define enlightenment as the capacity to have a non-dual experience. Initially, um, very sporadically, but with continued practice, you can stabilize that experience. And they will teach you the skills required to, to get there. It's a skill-based approach. Um, Shinzen defines it as three primary skills, concentration, clarity, and equanimity. And like any skill, they take practice to develop, and you can do that. So again, it's not sitting down and zoning out on some kumbaya stuff. It's really wrangling your mind and training your attention with the same diligence and discipline that would be required to train a puppy who wants to run away. So to answer your question, where to begin? Establish concentration. Concentration is the foundational skill upon which all meditative skills and all meditative practices are built. And... Concentration is the staying power of mind. It's the capacity to direct the mind toward a specific object and have it stay there. And here's what you're going to encounter when you try to establish concentration. You're going to guide the mind toward the object of concentration. Let's say it's the breath. And then exactly 3.2 seconds later, you're going to be thinking about what's for lunch or <laughs> you said that to me or whatever. And then you notice that happened and you come back. And that's the practice. That's the path. Noticing that the mind has wandered and guiding it back to the object of concentration. And in time, the mind wanders less and stays more. And you start to have this feeling that you are less the content of your mind mm -hmm. and more the steward of your mind. Mm. And that is very empowering. Mm. 
Yeah, you like can pull, you can pull on that thread for the rest of your yeah. life. Yeah, almost like I, I remember when I first was learning about meditation and, and I forget who it was, but they were leading through a guided meditation, which was helpful for me just getting started because I didn't know where to start. And so there were these, you know, 10 to 12 minute um recordings on an app that I was using very elementary, but it was, it was helpful to me in that, in that moment of my life. And I remember the woman challenging me as the listener to not watch my thoughts, but observe myself being the watcher of my thoughts. Mm -hmm. So understanding that like, there is a, it's almost like a separate being inside of ourselves or consciousness that can observe ourselves having a, an experience. So like, what is that being inside of me that's watch, that's aware that I'm watching my thoughts? And that whole c concept was just so different than anything that I have ever, you know, knew about thinking and meditation or, you know, concentration or anything like that. And, uh, it's almost like this feeling. I remember having this feeling and I still have it sometimes when I sit down to just be still is like, Oh, okay. There I am. Not my thoughts, the observer of the thoughts like, Oh, there I am. That's my consciousness separate from my thoughts, which I think is similar to what you're saying. Correct me if I'm wrong there. Yeah. And you can keep pulling on that thread. Who's observing, who's making the commentary on the observer and you can through the practice through developing high concentration, different kinds of questions arise, and some of them hit like a Mack truck that you don't have an answer for verbally, but an insight arises that doesn't come through words, but it's just like a... Yeah. Yeah. All of a sudden, your perspective shifts just a little bit, and you can't even really articulate it. You just understood something fundamental about the human experience, and now that lives inside of you. And that's the fruit of meditation practice. Um, but it's not an addition. It's not, there's no additional knowledge. It's really subtraction of what you think you know. Uh, I was going to say, we're in 2023, we are people in a culture equivalent to the person who's thrown a medicine ball for the first time. <laughs> and it's like they catch it and it, you know, it hits them and it falls off their body. And, um, you could easily you could easily just throw the medicine ball exercise away and be like that was horrible that was a terrible experience like i have no ability or capacity to be able to handle this thing of weight but slowly but surely you know you start to build you you might be sore for a while you know in the same way that your thoughts might if you sit there and you're trying to meditate and they're all over the place you might be sore for a while you may not even be able to hold the ball for 5 seconds but slowly and surely with consistency and ritual and routine, you're holding the ball, you're now throwing it back, you're able to catch it dynamically. And all of a sudden, it's more than just being like, oh, I'm, I'm able to do these things a bit more. It's like, wow, I feel good. I actually have the capacity to handle this and to be agile with this so much so that I can do it over the over a course of time and feel good, like actually feel vital. And like yeah. that is the mental, spiritual muscle that we have as a just deficiency mm -hmm. human wide, you know, worldwide. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm speaking to myself here too, because this is, I'll work my ass off physically and to sit for 15 minutes sometimes sounds like the, the larger mountain to climb and, and be still. And that's, that's something that I'll, that very point is something that I'll pose to a lot of the men that I work with. Some of us, sometimes 
you know, we foster discipline and we become comfortable doing hard things. So like for you, maybe getting to the gym is not like, you know, maybe there was a time on your path where that took some heroic discipline to like get yourself to do it. But now it's like, yeah, this is actually like this. Yeah. And so growth happens on the other side of the challenging thing. And so for a lot of the guys I work with, they're, maybe they're, they have a fitness background. So there's not really a lot of, um, it's not to say that they should stop working out, but there's not, there's not going to be a lot of major up levels that come from working out, working, yeah. working in becomes the edge. And to your great analogy with the medicine ball, it's like when, when you go to the gym and you build strength, you get stronger in the gym and then you leave, you stay strong. You don't, you, right. you're strong you leave the gym but the in the meditation practice the skills that we cultivate on the pillow we get to keep when the bell rings you know so the 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 goal is not to become really like a great meditator it's to become a great human being concentration is the skill the fundamental skill that leads to performance excellence in all endeavors so as you can cultivate the skill of concentration you will get better at everything that you do husband father coach, entrepreneur, every every hat that you wear, you'll be better at it if you train the common denominator in all your roles, your mind. Is that because you think like, I, I want to pull on that thread a little bit, the sort of mechanism of action that trickles out into almost every aspect of life as you're speaking, like, is it the act of being able to self-reflect when you want to say something or when you're triggered in relationship, but you've had this practice of self-reflecting and instead of saying something hurtful to your partner, even though you feel like it, now you've practiced the self-reflection and you know like, huh, okay, let me dig into that for myself first before I respond to my partner. Like, What is the mechanism of action if you could maybe try to define it? That would be one of them. My teacher Shinzen would always say, we have three tenths of a second before the terrorists take the building, meaning that in a moment of high trigger, emotions are high. I mean, have you ever said something you immediately regretted saying? Yes, of course. Because <laughs> our hands are not on the button. We're not, we have to press that veto button and it, we only have three tenths of a second to do it. That takes <laughs> an enormous amount of mindfulness. And if you're not training it, then you just, you're, you're just on autopilot. Another mechanism of action is a subskill of concentration, which we could call metacognition, the capacity to uh, mentalize or to notice what you're thinking about. So have you ever thought your way into a terrible feeling? Have you ever removed yourself totally from the conditions of the present moment and created a doomsday scenario that has nothing to do with reality? But, to the, but to the intelligence of your body, the emotional experience is the same as if it were happening. What if you could stop doing that altogether. Yeah. Oh, dude, I'm like, I'm like classic for like creating confrontations and arguments in my head that actually haven't happened. Like, this is what I'm going to say. This is what I'm going to say when I get to them or when, when yeah. we get this. Or this you're time. having the conversation and, and you're also have saying what the other person is saying. And right. And actually, it's actually crazy. It is. Know? In the, in the Buddha's view, the normal person is insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like we've all been on the subway or something where there's that person like, yeah, Tim, well, why don't you shut up or I'll kill you. <laughs> yeah. We all know like, okay, you're crazy. But the only difference between them and us is that they're saying it out loud and we're saying it inside of our heads. Totally. That's so true. Yeah. yeah. So 
yeah, through metacognition, you can start to recognize how you're creating your own suffering and you can prevent the mind from doing that. You yeah. can incline the mind toward positivity. You can gain clarity on a purpose or an intention and allow that to be your guiding force rather than your own thought. Thought becomes much less personal. So the ways that the practice ripples out are really innumerable. And they all just kind of happen gradually. Like, let's take something super mundane. You're sitting on the pillow. You got a 12-minute, 15-minute meditation practice. You're wanting to just sit still and feel, but your nose is itchy. But you, you're a good yogi and you don't scratch it. And you notice that actually the itch goes away. So you just had a profound insight into impermanence. Mm. There was there was a feeling, you regarded that feeling as unpleasant, and you wanted to do something about it, but you just stayed with, with it as it is. You allowed reality to be the way reality is, and you just bent yourself around it without needing it to be different. And then you got gained an insight that that passed, and I'm still here. That's so mundane, but it's so profound, and this is the way the practice just kind of teaches you about you. And it's just sit, just get quiet and sit for 10 minutes every day. That's, that'll change your life. Did you know that Mushy Love Latte contains three to five times more organic mushrooms per serving than almost any other mushroom product out there? How did we do this? Well, we started with the question, how do we get the most mushrooms possible packed into each scoop and still make it delicious? It took us a while, but the result is a whopping one gram of chaga and tremella in a mixture that tastes like a liquid cinnamon roll. To support robust immunity, glowing skin and hair, and overall cellular hydration. All organic ingredients, no weird fake sweeteners, and our mushroom growers have over 40 years of experience. They are OGs in the mushroom industry. We weren't interested in creating anything but the best for you guys and ourselves. Grab a bag of Cinnamon Swirl Mushy Love Latte at GetMushyLove.com and you can use the discount code MEDICIN, M-E-D-I-C-I-N, just for being a valued listener of the podcast. Enjoy. Yeah, yeah, I love that. It, and framing it that way makes it reachable for anyone and everyone. I feel like you don't need two hours of complete stillness to have it truly change your life. Um, consistency, I think, is important. Um, and maybe you could speak to that. Like, uh, should we be doing this every single day? Uh, obviously, that seems like it would be ideal. But like, is this one of those times where any any minute, any amount of minutes that you can do, that you can commit to, is better than the alternative. Yes. Um, great points. So consistency is critical. I think also having a relationship with a teacher rather than an app is probably pretty pretty good idea. I mean, if you really want to make progress on the path, you would want to reach out to somebody who is a little further along than you, but not so far along that you don't know what they're even talking about anymore. They can right. see that and, and make suggestions around your practice. But we could define formal meditation practice as bringing the totality of your attentional resources to a given technique or sensory phenomena. 
And that does not imply that you need to be sitting on a meditation pillow in full lotus. I mean, nowadays, if you just don't have your phone on you, you're basically a monastic. (laughs) (laughs) A great way in for me is I'll suggest people create no phone zones in your daily life. I live in Venice Beach. I take walks every day. I go to the beach often. Beach is a strict no phone zone. Mm, That's so great. The gym is a strict no phone zone. So anytime you don't have that external mind on you that's going to give you something to do, something to think about, it's basically a pacifier for adults, then you're just, you're with yourself. And that's a great way to start. Oh, I love that. It's so good. If you could do that for, let's say, 10 minutes a day. Now, if you really want to get a taste for what's possible and meditation and build some momentum, uh, a retreat practice, you know, going on a retreat, I think is a really good idea. I've done a number of retreats varying in length from the first retreat I ever did was three days. And at the time that felt like a insane thing to do. Like literally I thought I'd lost my shit. I moved from from Philly to LA and, uh, I was practicing meditation with a teacher. He was offering a retreat at Joshua tree. I went out to the desert for three days and I thought I'd, I was like, wow, I've become a hippie. I can't ever <laughs> tell my boys from Philly about this. <laughs> the retreat itself was not remarkable and not at all enjoyable. It was hard and boring and I hated mostly every second of it. But on the other side of it, as life, as I got back to my life, I couldn't deny that there was this spaciousness. Mm. There was more space between me and my internal mental commentary that I had just accepted as self for my whole life. And it was significant enough to make me want to go on another meditation retreat for a little longer, a little longer. And then, you know, over the years, I've gone on meditation retreats once or twice a year, pretty consistently. The longest one was four weeks, but wow. a, a retreat practice is definitely a good way to get the ball roll. Yeah. That uh, the amount of times that I've said, wow, I could never tell somebody back home about this. Uh, too many to count for me in my life. Uh, yeah. that's so great. Um, so I'm uh, thinking about two, you know, archetypes, male archetypes. Um, we've got coming off of the commune, it's Hakuna Matata, very integrated with their feminine, um, who comes to you and says like, Hey, I want to be a part of this, this, uh, program. I want to, I want to get involved with some of the things you're doing. Um, so how do you approach them? And then the other version would be, let's say it's a CrossFit games athlete and they've been in the gym like 24 hours a day for a decade and they're jacked out of their freaking mind, but can't sit still for five seconds. So you got these two male archetypes walking in and uh, they're saying, Hey, give me some help. I need to be a little bit more integrated. How do you, how do you approach this? That's a great question, man. And that's, that's, you know, one I might call too savage. The other one I might call too sane. Funny enough, these are the individuals who come to the retreat experiences and these individuals really get each, get under each other's skin, (laughs) but they both have the lessons for each other. They have the medicine for each other. So for the first individual who's very connected to his feminine, as you say, and straight off the commune, his medicine would be in identifying a purpose or a mission and cultivating a daily life around the accomplishment of that thing Um, to really ground his spirituality 
into his body and into his purpose, you know, to get clarity on what it is that he's about, really, what is it that he stands for, and to develop a daily life that communicates that without him needing to say anything, or maybe not relying on his clothing to communicate his beliefs, you know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> and maybe for an individual like that, a combative martial art or a weight training or something to really start to feel the strength in his body and to recognize that that strength is good. You know, it's not toxic, it's not harmful, but actually the people in your life who love you and who need you need to feel that strength. And maybe occasionally you'll need to be firm or even raise your voice, and you can do that while maintaining a connection to your heart. That's what we need from you, more savage. The other individual would be encouraged to soften, really, to take his eyes momentarily off the prize, off the finish line, off the destination, and to have a look around, you know, to intentionally relax his body, not as a concept, but as a, as a direct momentary practice to relax. What would, how would you feel right now in this moment if you achieved the thing that you're moving toward? How would you feel? Invite that feeling in to reflect upon the possibility that actually the ultimate expression of savagery is to open your heart right now, is to entertain the notion that you are always practicing something and your strength is your diligence. But what are you practicing moment by moment by moment by moment? What feeling state are you, are you practicing? And if you want to become a real savage, Become a bodhisattva. A bodhisattva is so savage that they are practicing moment by moment the capacity to be medicine for all beings. Mm. So the surface level, like, um, and I'm learning this as I go, you know, savage and sane is teaching me. But the surface level is here I am, Michael Holt, I teach meditation, I teach martial art, martial art is savage, meditation is sane. But that ain't it, you know. Look at look at a yogi a realized yogi, a deep and profound meditator who has become a bodhisattva. They've basically annihilated themselves through high states of concentration, and now they live in service of all sentient beings with no regard for their own self-interest. What could be more savage than that? Mm. That's the ultimate, that's the pinnacle of savagery. And then if you look, let's say, look at a martial artist, or my teacher, Guru Dananasanto, who would say, I don't train because I hate the man across from me. I train because I love the people behind me. Mm. So what if your motivator in becoming skilled in the application of violence is to protect your loved ones and to protect people generally? That's pretty saintly. So it's like the yin-yang symbol. You know, the savage hides within the saint. The saint hides within the savage. They are one and the same. And you can invite them both in inside one body, your body. I know you you mentioned you have a course right now um, and it's it's centered around helping men restore vitality. I want to dive a little bit deeper into vitality specifically. I think when we talk about vitality, it's sort of a loose definition, kind of like an umbrella term. If you could like define what you mean by 
vitality before we move into other questions around it? I think that would be helpful for people. Yeah, I would say um, physical health, the palpable sense of liveliness emanating from the body, sexual virility and sovereignty and capacity for critical thinking. Yeah, great. Cool. What are some normalized structures and practices in society that crush our vitality? And of course, you know, speak speak to men specifically if you want, but I'm sure a lot of what you're going to say is just going to apply to men, both men and women. Um, but what are some normalized practices that crushes that? I mean, it would probably be easier to list what doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> like modern society generally. I'll often say if I was an evil genius who was hamstringed by the Geneva Convention and I couldn't actually chop dudes' dicks off, then I would just build this modern society in which they are castrating themselves. Um, let, where do we begin? Food, water, um, the, the general lifestyle of just being completely sedentary. Give them bread and circuses, you know, sports games and com being completely disconnected from the dirt and the earth. You know, the whole modern society is really built to disconnect a man from his vitality and virility because a man who is disconnected from his vitality and virility is easy to govern. And to govern is to manipulate, to control, to lead. So if I was in charge, I would damn sure want to make sure that there wasn't a lot of vitally, vibrantly alive men that I would have to deal with because they would be the ones saying, yo, but what the fuck do you think you're doing? Yeah. So I would do everything I can to make sure that those men don't exist. And that's modern society. Yeah. yeah. You know, we, we've talked about the benefit of these practices like physical activity and movement, as well as mindfulness and meditation. These are delayed gratification muscles that can be built and understood which is the complete opposite of an instant gratification culture where if I'm not happy now, something's wrong and there's a million alternatives that will seemingly fill the void for now, but it's going to take two of them tomorrow, three of them the next day, and it's going to exponentially increase in order to fill the void. If you never nurture this ability to understand the feedback loop of delayed gratification um, of what it means to be satiated instead of, uh, consistently chasing the pleasure rush of the, uh, whether it be food or the porn or the technology, if you can't get through that instant gratification addiction, you'll never really be able to be vital. Wisdom is the capacity to delay short-term pleasure for long-term satisfaction. So to be vital, you need to become wise. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. And it's it's sometimes discouraging uh, for me. I'll, I'll speak for myself, but obviously we have this podcast. We're on YouTube. We're creating content. We, of course, want people to listen to the show and to be interested in, in you know, the guests that we're talking to. And, you know, you, you look at some of these like growth accounts or growth advice in the space of specifically like podcasting. And they're telling people like you have under three seconds to get the person's attention yeah. before they move to something else. And 
like I, I can't argue with where reality is at right now for people and attention spans, but it's so disheartening to me as a, a, or for both of us, I'm sure. But like as a creator, you then have to like, it's like against everything that we're talking about on this podcast right now and every other podcast where it's like delayed gratification and leaning in and you know, just being still and putting your phone to the side. It's like, it's so against what we actually teach yet to grow our business, to grow the podcast. We're being encouraged to lean into the fact that people have extremely short attention spans. It's like, it like hurts my heart. Yeah, it's true. But I guess, you know, there's a greater intention to help people out so you can play the game capture the attention and then maybe give them an idea that they haven't considered before. And I can relate to that too. It's like, you know, I'm teaching this course now. We're coming up on week seven out of a 12-week course and I'm continually telling the guys, there's no revolutionary information in this class. You know, you're going to learn things that you probably already know. Everybody knows that meditation is good. Everybody knows that functional breathing is ideal and you probably don't breathe functionally. I mean, most people anyway, at least in the health and wellness echo chamber that I live in. So meditation, breath, everybody knows that sleep hygiene is critical. Everybody knows that you need enough H2O. Everybody knows that you need to eat well. and Everybody knows that you need to move, but why don't you do it? Mm -hmm. So the question becomes, if I know this stuff, why don't, why aren't I doing it? That's can be a destabilizing question. Mm -hmm. Why aren't I taking good care of myself? Yeah. Well, I think, I think this is actually will, will lead nicely into men's work. And so I think what gets lost in a world of really being able to isolate and have alternatives for pleasure and feel good at our fingertips two seconds away is that we lose community and the accountability that comes with a healthy, thriving community. When there are a, a, a group of individuals large enough, but not too large that can look each other in the eyes and say, I'm committing and then also committing, I'm committing to myself and committing to holding you accountable. Um, you are incentivized and healthy pressurized to choose those harder, seemingly harder things. And in my little exposure to men's work, I see that being one of the most beneficial elements. How are you facilitating through your leadership around men's work and men's spaces, um, this idea of of community and accountability that would add as this sort of invisible hand of of guidance through some of those uh, I don't really feel like doing this today feelings. Yeah, accountability is big, uh, which you mentioned. It's it's one thing to try to get yourself in order on your own and set some goals and maybe if you fall short of them you let yourself down or betrayed your own word which is a big deal but it's not as big a deal as if you told 35 other guys that you're going to do something and one of them is actually checking on you regularly and we're going to ask you if you got it done it's like well fuck i don't want to do this at all but i told the guys i'd do it so it's going <laughs> to get done and then the habit gets built yeah so accountability is huge that's a that's a central component of men's work Another thing is when a group of guys get together and summon the courage to be authentic about their lived experience, the good, the bad, and the ugly, everyone who's listening 
realizes that our struggles are more or less universal. There, if you're not, if you're trying to do it all by yourself, there's this illusion that you are living in this house with all these problems and everyone else is out there joyfully frolicking through life with everything figured out. But when you realize that, you know, a lot of your problems are shared, then it's like, ah, there's a lease there. Like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm not the only one. And actually, I'm doing a little bit better than he is, but I'm not doing as good as he is. So you find yourself to be a link in the chain and there's somebody available to help you out and then there's somebody available that you can help out. And both of those things are medicinal. So it's it's definitely a, a quickening happens to your own uh, growth when you take that task on in the presence of other men who are committed to their own growth. Another great kind of aspect that you can find in men's work, specifically in the men's work that I facilitate, and I'm big on this, is critical feedback. You know, in polite society, the way that an individual shows up, everybody might be making conclusions or have ideas about this individual based on his posture, let's say. But nobody's going to tell him. You know, I'm finding it difficult to trust you at a level, at a deep level that I can't really articulate because you have a forward head lean and your shoulders are slumped forward. No one's ever going to say that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> you say, what are you weird? And furthermore, no one, most people don't even know that that's why they don't trust them. True. You know, it's, but when you invite criticism and criticism that comes from the heart, I love you and I respect you. And because I love you and I respect you, and because I'm courageous, I'm going to tell you something that you may not want to hear, but you need to hear. And that's a gift. Hey, homies. If you're anything like Chase and I, you really enjoy exercise and building a healthy, strong body. Obviously, what we do inside the gym is important, but what we do outside of the gym is just as critical to our success, like the supplements you're using to support your results. One of our favorite conscious body brands is called Keon. We've both been using Keon for a few years now for muscle building, strength, and recovery. Keon is well known for being super clean, super tasty, and super effective. Our supplement trifecta. Chase and I both use the aminos, the whey protein, and the creatine on a regular basis. Yes, creatine is for women too. And Keon's is top of the top shelf. To learn more about Keon, head to our medicine cabinet at themedicine.com and use the code medicine, M-E-D-I-C-I-N, for a nice discount on any and all Keon products. Enjoy. It's so a gift. Nobody tells you the thing that everybody always thought about you your whole life, but nobody told you. You have an insight into yourself and you can change and you start to have this insight. Wow, the way I show up, my presence speaks volumes about who I am and I can be more intentional with that. So typical of men, I think, is that we, we grow really through criticism more so than praise. I mean, any, any man can look back on like the coach that he had as a youngster who never, ever gave him a pat on the back, but was very critical, but would very occasionally say, good job, Holt. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. it yeah. meant more. Yeah. It meant so much more. 
because he was criticizing you. So that criticism attached to the heart, I think, is another really potent medicine of men's work. It exfoliates the bullshit. And and it is a filter for narcissism. Like I've been in the workplace for now 10 years of my career, and it's the polite society workplace. Sure, there's performance evals that are done digitally every quarter that passive aggressively get their way to the individuals. But there isn't honest, direct feedback from a place of love. And the people who are passive will get stomped on by narcissists because there's an inability to hold them accountable and to put the filtering system in that environment such that they can get the feedback sooner rather than later that there's something they need to work on. But to a, at a certain point, if they don't, it's it's almost too far gone. And you have these individuals, unfortunately, thriving to the top that are nar complete narcissists. And it's it's absolutely deteriorating these different spaces of the world that we live in. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one of the things that like uh, on a retreat experience, let's say, we'll all make the collective agreement that I want to know the truth. Raise your hand if you want to know the truth about yourself, even if it's going to sting a little bit. Yep. Yeah. And so that's the that's the collective agreement that we'll make. And um, it's very powerful, very valuable. You see this with uh, young boys distinct from young girls. Most girl groups don't engage in this way. And we've, we've talked about this before, but you, you look at a group of 17, 18 year old call, or, uh, high school athletes. You just observe them. There's probably going to be some poking and some nudging and some like, oh, dude, you you did this or like you did that or like pointing out your friend's weaknesses, but you're still friends after it. Girls don't do that as much. I did not do that in my friend group. Like girls take it. I know I'm speaking generally. This was my experience and what I observe. I feel like I have to give a disclaimer all the time, but I think it's innate in men to nudge and to poke when you see something breaking down and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I feel like I've heard other teachers speak to this specifically in men because you're looking for the weak points because potentially, you know, 400 years ago, you could have this guy next to you in battle or on the, you know, on a hunt and you you need to know, like, can you handle yourself? And so there's this like poking where it's like, Hey, where are your weak spots? I'm going to find them. And like, we're going to be cool afterwards, but like we rely on each other for that agreed upon poking for your benefit. Yeah. absolutely. You know, I would say that's a fundamental difference between men and women is that men typically grow more through criticism and women more through praise. Um, but I know speaking from my own experience, like the guys that I have in my inner circle that I really want around are guys who give me good criticism. I've had the experience of individuals being very complimentary toward me. And it's just like, it's cool. It's nice, but it's not growing. It's me. like, yeah. you're bullshitting. Yeah. Me. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> or yeah, whatever. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. But if I can give, a, and I have good friends who can give me good criticism and not just like uh, insulting, but like profound, subtle, nuanced information about me, the way I might be seeing something and what I'm missing and, and why I fucked that up. I'm just like, I love you, man. You stay by my side. Because not only do you have the, the depth to see that, you have the balls to tell me. And that's the kind of people that I want around me. 
Yeah, I think that that's so vital uh, for for anyone to to be able to have people around you that sharpen you and that are willing to be courageous in those moments. And it's something that we can we can all certainly lean into and and learn from. Yeah, I mean, look for the people who are pointing out your um, loops and your patterns that you're repeating. Um, those are people who look beyond just the surface and care about you enough to point out like, hey, you're doing that thing again. And you did that five years ago at your last job where you've turned yourself into the victim. And now it sounds like really similar themes are coming up in your new job environment or, or something along those lines. Or a lot of times it's 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 the survival archetypes that we as adults consistently start to groom our environments. Like, where are you selling yourself mm -hmm. short? Where are you self-sabotaging because you're afraid of failure? Where have you pivoted yourself into victimhood because of... You know, the only value that you can attain from something is by renegotiating the environment in a way that makes you the victim. And and so having individuals in your your council or of of you know friends or or just community that can see those, they know the 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 true version of you and your potential and will speak to it, um, is so wildly valuable to have in your life. Um, and again, it comes back to this this recurring theme of Get away from your screen for a minute because you may not be able to have that level of authenticity in relationship digitally or virtually. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a bit of a cheat code, isn't it, Chase, to have people around you who see you that way. And, and you, you know, you must also humble yourself and be the kind of person who invites that kind of criticism. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely an art to delivering criticism and there's an art to receiving it too. And both take, take practice. Mm -hmm. To your point about getting off the screen, one of the things we'll do in retreat you know, I could tell you everything that we do over the course of a three-day workshop, but to hear it said would probably just sound weird, and it would not even come close to describing what's actually going on while the thing is happening. So, for example, there's a lot of extended gazing, you know, and um, to your point about getting away from the screen, if, if you really just stop, get still, look into somebody's eyes, the depth of information available about that person yeah. that is just communicated in that moment of connection. It might be somebody that you never even met before and will say something like, tell this man his greatest strength. And it'll, you'll say it. You won't think it. You'll just speak it from your gut. And the guy will say, he'll cry. Yeah. True. Tell this man his, his deepest weakness or his deepest wound. And that's true too. It's like when you practice... You know, I always say the human body is the most highly biologically attuned instrument in the known universe. The amount of information that this thing can glean from its environment is extraordinary as long as you don't fuck it up. And to your earlier point, Mimi, about modern culture, modern culture fucks it up, you know? So yeah. if you would want to be vital, you need to remove yourself from the norms and trends of modern society and do things that most people don't do and not do things that most people do do. But what you find if you do that is that you become an outlier and you awaken extraordinary abilities, extraordinary, so ordinary that they're just basic, but they're just covered up by the modern lifestyle. But, you know, these intuitive capacities can come back online to anybody who lives in a way that's in harmony with the way that we're meant to be living. 
Well, you mentioned a couple, no phone zone, I think is, a, is one that we can all start employing today. And, and we do that already, you know, go for a walk and leave my phone. I tell Chase, I'm leaving my phone, you know, on purpose. Um, and I think that that's really valuable. It, it allows us to be in our body and to flirt with nature and to receive the flirts with nature um, and to engage and to re, um, re like kind of embody be embodied in your senses. What are you hearing? Like, where's the birds that's trying to flirt with you? The flowers that are trying to get your attention, the smell of grass. Like you don't notice those things if you're, you know, scrolling on your phone as you're walking. You may be getting the steps, you may be getting the sunshine, but you're not fully alive and awake and present in your own experience. So I think that that's a huge one that's probably overlooked and underestimated by a lot of people. So no phone zone on this thread of you're going to have to probably lean into some things that might make you an outlier. Can you speak to any more of those things? Obviously meditation um, that you employ in your life that maybe someone else who's listening can, can start uh, doing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know this seems super basic to you both and in the echo chambers that we live in, but for most people to just eat real food and only eat real food is like crazy, you know, like, but you can't imagine how much richer your felt sense of the body will become if you give it food that speaks in a language that it can actually understand. And you do that for an extended amount of time. It's like, you know, we're, like I said, we're seven weeks into this 12 week course and we haven't even gotten a food yet, but we're about to. Um, but yeah, that's like, I mean, just do like, just give yourself a 14 day challenge where you don't eat anything that would confuse the caveman mm. and, and notice how every physiological, you know, measure improves. Take a walk at the morning sunrise and take a walk with the sunset. Like we said earlier, don't bring your phone. Sit still for five minutes every day. Take a cold shower. The cures are so simple. Mm hmm. The profundity of them is actually doing them with consistency and collective. Someone's listening. If you would do these things for the next 30 days, you would be amazed at how your life would change. Get up 30 minutes before the sun rises and be outside for the sunrise. Come home and take a cold shower for three minutes. Uh, then take... 15 deep breaths, the deepest breaths you can possibly take. Just 15. Then just sit there for 10 minutes. For the rest of the day, only eat real food. You can eat whatever you want, whenever you want. If you're hungry, eat. If you're not hungry, don't eat. But eat real food. When the sun sets, take a walk midday. And maybe a light jog, like, you know, Jog 10 yards and then walk and then jog 10 yards if you feel like it. Come home, have another real meal. When the sun sets, take another walk. Get in bed relatively early. Do that every day for 30 days. Report back. Notice how many of your problems go away. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. so good. I mean, I hope people are like taking notes <laughs> because like what you said, you know, there's nothing like overly complicated in there. No, like I said, it's so simple. It's all so simple. Health has been made so complicated. Furthermore, we define health as the absence of disease. If you're not sick, that means you're healthy. No, health is this feeling of wanting to kick your sheets off in the morning 
and get the job done because you're so passionate about the thing that you have to do and you have so much energy that you have to pour into it. That's health. That's vitality. And it's simple. It is so simple. Um, it's not easy, especially in a culture where to be healthy is to be an outlier. And this is a question that I'll often ask people. How many people do you encounter on a regular basis that are really, really healthy, like turned on, vitally, vibrantly alive, vibing high, to the point where it actually leaves a bit of an impression on your body, like, holy shit, what the hell is she on? And that's the thing is, you you know when you meet those people. Oh, when you do. You feel it. Yeah. And you're like attempting to articulate, and they're like, they're just really fucking healthy. They're glowing, you know? Now, how many people do you encounter who are walking around, half dead, breathing through their mouth? (laughs) formulate a coherent thought or have a novel idea and are riddled with um, physical pain and emotional turbulence that's normalized so the question becomes what are these people doing well they're living the way we're encouraged to live in the modern culture so don't live that way and this is the way that I, i like to breathe this revolutionary spirit into my work particularly with guys because we need a revolution and I, I'm a revolutionary individual, but the real revolution is your day-to-day life. Yeah. It's not the next protest. It's not to topple systems of oppression. It's your daily life. Your daily life is your revolution. What you eat for breakfast is your revolution. You know, uh, your, your revolution is your day-to-day lived experience. So that's the real revolution. I went through a chapter in my life where I was angry. I told you I was atheist. I was anarchist. I was pissed. I wanted to fight cops and all this crazy stuff, all this anger. And then I realized, oh, love is the revolution. Health is the revolution. So that's the revolution that I'm trying to spearhead. But it's warrior's work. You know, it's warrior's work. Yeah. So we need more warriors. Yeah, I think uh, people in our culture today, you know, three, four hundred years ago, it was they had a different type of stress in their life. They had different problems. Their problems were finding food and, you know, moving their entire tribe before the blizzard hits. And ours now are putting my phone down and going for a walk and having that discipline or the discipline to sit down and meditate for 10 to 15 minutes every day or the the discipline to not engage with my partner in a toxic way um, to not spend hours scrolling social media. Like these are different problems, but they're, and they require a, a different sort of skill set because everything is so easy to get to every, you know, you can push two buttons on your phone and have food at your door in 10 minutes. Like that is so wild. And so I love the idea of like purposefully putting ourselves in situations that are mildly discomforting, but are going to have so many downstream benefits for our ourselves in this moment and for our future selves. And everything that you're talking about obviously falls under, under that umbrella. And I hope people are hearing the invitation and the encouragement uh, from you. And I, I just speaking, you know, directly to you, I love that you're so passionate about it. It's, it's, uh, it's awesome to see because that's what our world needs more of is people who are sharing their passion, you know, as Paul check would say, our, our one love our our big, you know, overarching dream. And it's, it's really refreshing this, this, um, tough love passion that you have. I appreciate you saying that. And, uh, I, I do feel very wealthy. I feel very lucky that, you know, I'm very fulfilled in my work and basically 
I'm earning a living doing what I would be doing anyway. Yeah, so, that's great. Yeah. That's the Ikigai, guy, right? That's it. I, yeah. I hit it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, um, I'm so refreshed by what's coming from you in the sense that we can actually make radical change just through radical self-responsibility. Oh. And instead of sitting in our armchairs and scrolling through our devices or watching television and shaking our fist, expecting the authorities that be to solve our problems, um, it can be as simple as just getting your ass up out of the seat and leaving those devices and going for a walk, you know, mirroring your rhythms with nature and slowly but surely you'll change your life. People will feel the change and get curious about what you're doing and be interested enough to change theirs. And we can do this thing from the bottoms up. And I think that's kind of the, what you were alluding to earlier around grandiose ideas for radical overnight change um, is kind of the wrong way to look about look at it. And I'm not saying that can't happen through the Buddhas and Gandhis and Jesus Christ of the world, but there's a way that we can actually just do this from the bottoms up that's practical today. And so uh, very refreshed and and motivated to continue in this path, my man. I appreciate you guys, man. It's been really lovely to chat with you. You know, the next Buddha, the next Jesus, the next Gandhi won't may not be an individual, but a critical mass of individuals who have taken responsibility for themselves. So the question becomes, which side are you on? You know, which side are you on? And does your daily life reflect which side you think you're on? Mm. Yeah. Boom. Love it. Mic drop. Um, but I'm going to have you pick the mic back up because we have one more question for you. <laughs> oh, shit. I broke the mic. <laughs> yeah. Actually, two. First, if you would please um, let people know where they can find you, links, website, um, you know, the work that you're doing. Uh, yep. Give people insight oh, there. Yeah, go to my website, savageandsaint.com. That's easy to remember. The best way to stay in the loop with me is you'll get a pop-up on the website that says subscribe to my newsletter. That's a newsletter that I send out once a week about just a reflection, and I'm intentionally polarizing. I'm not trying to sell anybody anything. I'm just basically putting a flag in the ground. This is what I'm about. And subscribe to the newsletter, and if you don't dig it, then unsubscribe, and that's a pretty clear indicator that we wouldn't get along, and enjoy the rest of your life. <laughs> but if you dig it, then you'll be in my sphere and you'll get information about upcoming retreats and the masculine vitality course. There's going to be another option to enroll in that course in July of this year. And then you can find me on social media. It's, uh, at Savage and Saint on Instagram, but that website, that link is, is on the Savage and Great. Well, last question for you, man. We ask every guest on the medicine um, you know, we're, we're all about exploring these alternative medicines and we intentionally leave the E off the end of medicine because it can be the sacredness of a flower. Um, it can be the beauty and the uh, incredible response that your your body has when it sees the morning sunrise. Um, so we like to leave medicine very loose. But what for you uh, really feels like medicine in your life right now? I've done a deep dive into i see the mushroom behind you guys i don't know that you could name a psychedelic that i haven't experimented with but i'm beginning to realize that the most intense psychedelic is our own breath mm. so if you don't believe me take 10 15 deep deep breaths do it again and then do it again and then do it again 
see what happens. Yep. Yeah. Breathe in and out really fast for 30 minutes and you will be on another planet. Yeah. I know it. And I trip <laughs> up every morning. I'm getting hot on my spot. Right, man. Love right. it. Snaps for that. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your your wisdom with us and our listeners. We really appreciate you, you know, sharing, but also just that we get to call you friend and we get to see you at Paul Check Workshops. Holler. <laughs> Best part, man. I'm honored to call you guys friends. And thank you once again for the invitation. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, brother. All right, you guys go check out Savage and Saint. And uh, if you enjoyed this episode, send it to someone that you think would also enjoy it. Help us spread the message, spread the love. We'll see you next time. Go spread some light. Okay, bye. Hey friend, thanks for listening. Did you hear anything today that expanded your mind, made you laugh, touched your soul, or caused you to think differently about this topic? I hope so. I invite you to share this episode with someone you love. It takes 30 seconds and has the potential for a great ripple effect. Our world needs more people having real, honest, and open-minded dialogue on big topics. And you never know, you may just change their entire day. We love you and appreciate you being here with us. Cheers.